Beth, I'm, I'm really sorry, but this episode might contain some spoilers. 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 I'm going to have to leave. Sorry. Yeah. If you've not watched this episode, then uh, sorry, you're going to get it spoiled. Oh my God. My freaking eyeball. Ah! Not your eyeballs. What's fucking happening to my eye? Anyway, should we just go? Should we go? <laughs> Let's what go, girls. What is happening to the eye? <laughs> Let's go, girls. Bum, 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 wow, wow, wow. In home space. to the Who Watch podcast, where we're watching every episode of Doctor Who from 1963 to present day. She's Beth, I'm David, we're two huge Doctor Who fans, and we're continuing our Who Watch journey this week with Planet of Giants, the ninth ever Doctor Who story, and the first episode of season two! (laughs) Before we begin, please do remember... (laughs) <laughs> Before we begin, please do remember to subscribe and follow us on the socials. You can find us at Who Watch Podcast and you can email us with your thoughts on the story or our episodes at the, the Who Watch Podcast at gmail.com. We're at separate locations, really so it's a bit more me. tricky. Yeah. <laughs> um, plus, if you're on Spotify, you can let us know your thoughts via the QA buttons. And if you're enjoying our travels through time and space, please do give us a rating on your podcast provider or tell your pals. Do spread the word of the Who Watch podcast. Um, happy post Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Happy New Year. That's what <laughs> I would say that post Christmas is normally called New Year. Oh yeah, that, that whole that whole new year that gets created. Um welcome to twenty twenty four. Yeah. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy that we're back. We've actually not spoken. We, we have spoken a little bit over the, the Christmas break. Hold on. Sorry, you left me a 25-minute voice note, so we definitely spoke. <laughs> David left me a 25-minute voice note and then goes, I haven't spoken to you over the Christmas period. Sorry. 25 minutes. <laughs> You're a liar. Oh, no, that is true. No, it is just that I've not physically seen you. And now that you're in a separate location, yeah. can't disclose because you're, you're being hired by MI6. Um... But you're in a you're in a separate location, so I'm not even seeing you face to face today. <laughs> I know I'm really sad, but I've decided to go on a little a little holiday to house sit for my friend. So I'm not recording this in London, but oh. hopefully for the next one. Right outside the M25, representation matters. Um, we had some lovely <laughs> we had some lovely um, comments on the Apple Podcast while we were away, and I would like to read one to you if that's all right. Yes, go, 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 go. Um, this was left actually on the 7th of December, that we did, but we didn't see it until quite late on. So we apologise to Stradahuvius891. Hi, Stradahuvius891. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's a five-star review, the best, the best kind, <laughs> the only kind that we accept. Um, and the headline is Thoughtful and Enjoyable. I'm thoughtful, you're enjoyable. Um... I struggle with the serial format of Classic Who, <laughs> so being able to experience it through David and Beth's insightful commentary, they're able to articulate the appeal of the classic series in a way I can understand and appreciate through the lens and sensibilities of a modern viewer. That is a very lovely review, but that's it's very, very, very... Um, that's a great review. Very um, 
what's the word? Very word. Um, articulate, insightful review. I love the implication that when that I'm the enjoyable and therefore not thoughtful. <laughs> And I love the implication that I then made, which is that I think, but I'm not fun. But it's absolutely the, so far from the truth. You are the funnest, the funnest human being. Have you heard our bloopers reel? Oh. There's no one oh. more fun than David. Oh, have you heard it? <laughs> and you are incredibly thoughtful and you come up with brilliant things and, and ideas and concepts and notions that I Thank do not consider because you are brilliant. Oh, oh, we get, we get emotional, David. Let's not do it right now. <laughs> now let's move on to Penny of the Giant, shall we? <laughs> We'll save it. We'll save it for a thirty-five minute voice note. <laughs> I was going through some stuff, guys. <laughs> I don't mind. I like receiving these voice notes. It's like my own little mini private podcast to listen to. Should we begin? In the words of, um, is it Dream Wife or is it Wet Leg? I can't remember which one it is. Let's begin. <laughs> I think it is Wet Leg. Okay. Hang on, I have to Google this, otherwise I'll... I, I only know one Wet Leg song. <laughs> it is it is Wet Dream by Wet Leg. Three, two, one, let's begin. Okay. And on that note, I'm going to begin. This week's story is a three-part adventure, the first to return to contemporary Earth since an unearthly child. When a TARDIS doors open of their own accord, just before materialisation, the Doctor, Barbara, Ian and Susan find themselves shrunk down to about an inch. They stumble upon some giant dead insects, a huge matchbox, and cigarettes before realising their fate. It's not that everything is super big, it's that they are super small. Ian gets trapped inside the matchbox where he is hidden from nearby giant footsteps, which belong to a scientist named Arnold Farrow. Great name. Turns out that they are at the home of a rich businessman called Forrester, who has sunk a lot of money into a new pesticide called DN6. Farrow tells Mr Moneybag that his application for the pesticide has been rejected because it's extremely dangerous to insects, plants and humans. Forrester is not happy that he's about to lose all the dosh he's put towards the pesticide. He reacts totally normally by pulling a gun out and killing poor Farrow. The Doc, Barbara and Susan hear the gunshot, but it sounds like an explosion to them. They make their way towards the house and encounter a falling bee, another victim of the pesticide. Ian escapes from the matchbox and meets his friend by the giant dead body of Farrow, where they realise a murder has occurred. In Doctor Who's best ever cliffhanger, the team TARDIS face a cat that has the potential to end them all. They stand as still as statues and the gorgeous kitty eventually loses interest in them. Before they can attempt to head back to the TARDIS, Forrester returns and the four split up to hide. Babs and Ian and Farrow's briefcase and Susan and the Doctor in the grass. Forrester is joined by a scientist named Smithers who doesn't believe for a second that Forrester murdered Farrow in self-defence. He admits to murder and tries to convince Smithers to help him cover it up. You see, Smithers. <laughs> <laughs> you see, the Smithers invented the DN6 pesticide and Forrester says that it won't see the light of day if the murder is discovered. They conspire a cover-up and take the briefcase into a laboratory where Ian and Barbara can finally escape. The Doctor and Susan, meanwhile, have to climb a drain pipe from the outside of the house to wind up in a sink inside the lab. Ian and Barbara find a pile of of seeds infected with DN6 and Barbara makes a fatal mistake of touching the stuff. She doesn't tell Ian though. Oh, Babs. Barbara then sees a giant fly and faints and is defo not feeling good since touching the DN6. She almost tells Ian but is interrupted by Susan's voice because she and the Doctor are using the sink to amplify their calls. Once reunited, they plan to escape down the plug hole but the two men in the lab will use the sink to wash blood off their hands and the Doc and Susan have to hide away down the plug hole overflow pipe. They once again escape the plug hole and find Ian and Babs panicking that they might have lost their friends forever. 
But hurrah, there are four again. Forrester is scheming and doctoring Farrow's report to deem the DN6 safe for use and disguises his voice to call the Ministry to get the go-ahead. Never fear, Hilda is here. Hilda, a switchboard operator, begins to grow suspicious of Forrester. Team Tardis find the formula for DN6 and the Doctor realises that the stuff is deadly to all wildlife. They attempt to call the police from a giant telephone, but their voices cannot be heard. At this point, Barbara is weak and unwell from the DN6, but still hasn't told her friends. She collapses and the Doctor finds the pesticide on her handkerchief, finally realising what has happened. It must return to their normal size to reduce the impact of the DN6 on her bloodstream. Hilda sends her police officer husband... Go off, hubby. <laughs> Hilda sends her police officer husband to the house because she can tell that Forrester is impersonating Pharaoh. Go off, Hilda. I love Mr and Mrs Smith. The Doc, Babs, Ian and Susan use matches and a gas tap to set alight a kind of insecticide, feeling that a fire is the only way to stop the DN6. Smithers starts to see through Forrester and realises the truth about DN6 and Forrester pulls a gun on him too. The bomb that the Doctor and his pals created explodes in Forrester's face as the policemen arrive and the men are put under arrest. Our favourite time travellers return to the TARDIS and the Doctor reconfigures the ship to convert them back into their normal size. Babs, who was almost dead, begins to recover. Praise the Lord. The companions go off for a bit of a wash and a scrub while the TARDIS lands at its next mysterious location. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> so where should we begin? I didn't really know where to begin with this one, actually, because I, I really, I really liked it. I don't think there's anything that I yeah. massively have to complain about, which is odd for me because usually I'm a real whiner. I don't th- no, I don't think that you are, but no, I think you're right because it's so short and sweet. With the Reign of Terror, we were just like we didn't like this, but I think we both like Planet of Giants. For me, the most interesting part is like how exciting a concept it is that the TARDIS team have been completely shrunk down because it's such a different threat than what they've faced so far. And I think we when we were watching series one we kind of came to the conclusion that like there was a lot of themes that were repeating and you know there was always a reason why they couldn't get back to the TARDIS and it, it there was a lot of stuff that kind of uh, kept happening if that made sense whereas with this this is so new and so different like yes they're still trying to get back to the TARDIS but it's like a completely different set of 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 problems than they've had so far and I think that was super interesting to watch I agree I think that the concept is so smart. I really like when Doctor Who kind of really plays with format and form because obviously all that we've seen uh, in series one is really kind of like historical episodes. And I say historical episodes to include so, so like episodes set in the future or on different planets. Like there's been less of the kind of weird science. The science has always been quite mm. like oh, that makes sense. Oh, I understand why that would happen. Whereas mm. this is just kind of like, this plays a little bit with fantasy. It plays with... Um, yeah. Plays with a little bit of nonsense and a little bit of, like, science fiction, science mm. fiction, as opposed to, like, science fiction fiction. Yeah. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, because I don't think they actually really... Th- like, I think they vaguely explain why they've been shrunk down. But like you say, it's just like a made-up concept for Doctor Who rather than it being an actual scientific thing, like as you say. It kind of feels like a bit of a fantasy world that they're walking through. Absolutely. In a way, with all the giant insects and stuff. And I also like the narrative structure of this in that the characters are all connected in some way, but they don't necessarily interact with the Doctor. So none of the, none of the regular-sized humans mm. interact with the Doctor. Um 
you could argue that like Helga is the only one who kind of hears them because they try and shout at her on the phone. But like that's one of the things I find really interesting is like having to consider what what would it be like to try and use a telephone mm. when you're that small and you simply think, well, the bit the buttons are a bit bigger <laughs> and maybe you have to go and stand at one end and speak from the other. But like there's also the consideration that when you are small, like your sound travels a completely different speed, a completely different way. There's basically two storylines happening that kind of interact with each other, but not really, because the main one doesn't interact with the TARDIS team. But there's a sto- whole storyline playing out that I wonder, like, it's one of those ones where I wonder if the TARDIS team weren't there, whether that situation would have played out the same. Because the only thing they really... I mean, obviously, they, like, set the fire at the end, but that policeman was already on his way. So I guess the only other thing is them doing the phone call maybe made Hilda, Hilda more suspicious... Do you know what I mean? So it was like it was already something that was playing out and I just found it so interesting, as you said, like watching these two storylines interact and sort of the TARDIS team watching from afar. Like, I I can't really think of other examples of that in Doctor Who, to be honest. There probably are, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. You know the thing that I did think of that this did remind me of? What? In some way, shape, shape or form. What? Flux. In what way? In the, in the way that you got these two timelines going at the same time that don't seem to really be connecting, oh. but they do connect in some weird, strange, you know, weird, weird way. Flux, by the way, we will come to it. Uh, 2021, 13th Doctor Adventure, all one story over six episodes. Um, so there's like one timeline happening of the Doctor trying to work out why the unit, half the universe has been destroyed. And at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, Thaddea Graham who is a great actress, um, is on uh, an adventure trying to find her husband, partner, soulmate, uh, who has occasionally been bumping into the TARDIS team at different points in time. So there are these two parallel yeah. stories that do end up converging at the end. And it's that's that's what yeah. this made me think of in some weird weird way, because you've got the TARDIS team trying that's to get so back. so interesting, that's where your brain went. So sorry, that was, I'm so sorry to everybody. But, like, on, on the one side, you've got the TARDIS team trying to get back to the TARDIS and being interrupted by the events that's going on inside the house. You've also got this kind of murderous, political, pesticide environment plot happening at the same time, and the two... Barely mm. touch, but when they do touch, it is the phone call. That's the, that's the catalyst that causes ha- ha- Hilda to be like, uh, something is really sus here. Yeah. You know the reason that I think it felt the reason that it felt different to season one, and it, it's just hit me just now. Go on. It's the first thing that you mentioned. It's the fact that this is the first contemporary story since an unearthly child. I was trying to work out like what 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 is this that makes it feel feel different and feel. I don't know, something a bit quite, quite homely about it and something that I really liked. And, was, and I was just like, yeah. oh, because at the same time as yeah. this mad sci-fi is this kind of bog-standard 60s drama that is con- contemporaneous. It's not yeah. like, so, what does the future look like? What does the past look like? So I have a couple of things to add to that. So what's really... So, yeah, I, I the first point I'll say is that I completely agree with you because to me, for a little bit... Like, for all of the bits with the... Um, normal-sized humans, um, and that whole storyline, I felt like I was watching a 60s crime drama or something, which was like, it didn't feel very Doctor Who-y, but then obviously the bits with the TARDIS team did. So there's sort of that juxtaposition there of those two things. And you're right, it felt very cosy and homely, and I was like, oh, you know, 
like you say, we haven't been to contemporary art since the first episode. Because <laughs> um, even then they go back, they go back in time straight away. So I like the idea that like, we've gone back for the beginning of the series back to um, contemporary earth. But there's also an interesting fact, two interesting facts, um, which is that this was filmed alongside series one, but then it was decided that they would put it at the beginning of series two. So this this was actually originally part of series one. So that's so interesting that it feels like the end of the reign of terror had that little bit at the end that really felt like the end of a series. And then this story feels like the beginning of a series, even though that they were filmed next to each other. Um, and also the weirder thing is that Planet of Giants only aired seven weeks after the Reign of Terror ended. So it's not even that big a gap between series one and series two for it. Like I imagine at the time it really didn't feel like very long. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of weird that it feels like such a fresh start. And we had a we had a lovely note from lovely John Elledge, um, who is a great big Doctor mm-hmm. Who fan and is a wonderful human being and you should follow him on Twitter. Um <laughs> about like the kind of the fact that there's not really a finale at the end of each season it just is kind of like stop mm. and then let, wait a couple of weeks and then we come back and it's almost like you know how EastEnders yeah. never really has like a kind of finale or anything it's because it's a continuous drama it just keeps going um mm. it kind of feels like they were maybe trying to do that but then realized that oh we maybe need to wait a few weeks just to make sure that everyone's on board and all the kind of sets are made and yeah. things are done it kind of feels like because in the 60s obviously it's a different different time of television a different time of like entertainment it kind of feels like it was meant to be like this continuous long-running mm. drama that happened every single week and then they had to go ooh, maybe pause yeah. i don't know i'm just i'm just spitballing ideas i wonder what, whether what the original plan was which is probably information that we can find out quite easily but like obviously but we was it always meant to go on the whole year without a break <laughs> well yeah so obviously did some research for this but I guess I haven't figured out whether the series was always supposed to be on air and there was always just it was always going to be this like short break or like yeah what the was it I, I assume it was always meant to be a continuous drama hence why there are always so many parts to the stories I also really love the use of big blown out photographs and the kind of cast being put against these big yeah. blown out photographs. So when they want to do comparison shots of how big something is versus how small the rest of the TARDIS team are, like the telephone or yeah. the dead body, they use these kind of like big, big blown out shots of of that thing and then have the, the, t- the team walk and go, <laughs> look at how big it is. <laughs> and it always looks really good for like, 60s tv yeah it does and like also just the fact that they had to build like these ma- this massive matchbox yeah. and like the plug hole like the sink thing like it's actually i was watching it and being like whoa this is like big work i wonder how big they were to stand next to and how big the matchbox was like these are the types of props that i'm like i'd love to see that in real life and they've probably been them straight away but um yeah the the actual setting of making everything huge was amazing like the, the insects look really cool it was really well done They've probably been set on fire in like a, a warehouse somewhere in Stratford or something like that. Like they, 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 these things will not exist. No, but I want to see that. I want that giant earthworm or the bee. <laughs> That's the prop that the I want in my bee. house. <laughs> <laughs> well, Beth, she's here tonight. Please welcome the giant bee from season two's Planet of Giants. Simon Khan. <laughs> 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 it's the ant egg from the start of the episode. Yay! Oh. <laughs> 
me, when I was watching, I felt like it felt really dark. Like, it really felt like... Really? I re- like, there was really... I, what I mean by that is there was such a sense of despair, like, that I don't think had, had that I, we had seen thus far. Like, they've been through a lot. They've been through a lot of danger. They've, you know, almost got guillotined in the reign of terror and, you know, they've been stuck in all sorts of places. But, like, the despair that Barbara, on like, on Barbara's face when she realises that she's been, like, infected by this insecticide. And, and also, as it was continuing, I was like, oh, my God, she's really, like... The acting, that she's so... It's really dark. Can you imagine, like, them being like, okay, this is one that we literally don't know how to get out of. We are one inch tall. Nobody can hear us. And also Barbara's about to start. Like, it's so... It's re- it felt really... I remember when it ended, being like, I really like that, but God, I'm glad they're out of danger because I... It, it made me feel a bit anxious. I I want to come back to Barbara just re- in just a brief second, but, like, I agree with you that it started off as this quite, like, fun thing of, like, oh, there's a giant earthworm, oh, there's an ant. And, like, it, it yeah. obviously it doesn't help the fact that, like, the cliffhanger to episode one is, like, them facing a cat, which I find quite funny. But then I thought about <laughs> it and I was like, oh, no, they don't even... Because I think the Doctor even says it. Like, one swipe of its paw will, like, kill us. And I, I didn't even think about yeah. it. I was like, oh, no, they're going to be eaten by a cat. And then I was like, oh, that's quite funny. But then I was like, no, even if the cat just, like, goes Meh, at them, like cats do with, with small yeah. objects, that's them dead. That's them <laughs> yeah. halfway across the garden yeah. dead. Like, it, 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 it's it horrible. Sta- it's it really starts horrible. Off, it starts off being, like, this fun little weird adventure of the fact that they're like, ooh, it's tiny. <laughs> and then it starts, like you said, it starts to sink yeah. in of, like, oh, no, they're one inch tall. Oh, no, because of the height difference, like, like yeah. sound travels differently. Oh, because of the height difference, like, yeah. Barbara's more likely to die of this, like, pesticide. Like, it, all this stuff just, like, it's builds so... up and we realise, and you're like, oh, shit, like, they're going to die. Yeah, it genuinely, like, I think um, Jacqueline's acting is insane because you can really, like, feel, like, the, disp- the, the sense of, like, the hopelessness that I feel like I don't think Barbara... I don't think I've seen exhibited in Barbara or Ian really so far. So that really, like, it almost was like when you, you know when, like, you have a friend who's always really reliable, but then, like, they go through a hard time and it's almost scary because you're like, oh, like, you're you're freed up. You, do you know what I mean? It's like that thing of Barbara, I always feel like is a very strong character and to see her lose that hope really made me like, oh, my God, this is really rough. Even down to, like, them them going in the briefcase. It's like, oh, that's quite funny, haha, they've gone in the briefcase. She's, like, injured straight away. They could have died in that brief. It's really... From a paper it's clip. Like, like you say, it's like it sh- Yeah, like it should be funny, but like... Or there are bits of it that do feel a bit funny until you realise that, oh no, this is really catastrophic for them. And they don't really know how it's happened fully. And it's just... Like you, like you said, they've not... Like Barbara's not exhibited this kind of behaviour since I think probably like the Daleks or maybe just the end of An Unearthly Child where she's like so yeah. panicked. But this is the thing that I find a bit strange about like her characterization in this because surely she'd be the first person to be like okay something I've, I've touched something i've done something wrong i'm ill but it just it, to me at points yeah. i was like this doesn't make sense for her like she should surely be like telling them that she, something's wrong so right i was gonna say that you know that you know in the song push the button by the sugar babes i've been dropping so many hints and you're still not getting it. <laughs> it's giving Taylor Swift in exile. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so I, I actually... So when I was watching it, I was like, this feels really out of character for Barbara. Where's the Barbara I know and love? Like, I don't really... I was I was a bit like, oh, they've, I, I don't really... I'm not 
100% a fan of how she's being written. But then I, I sort of thought about it. And you know how the Doctor always, a few times in series one, whenever they were about to die, he would be like, don't tell Susan and Barbara, but we're about to die. I kind of thought she was taking on that role of being like, I don't want to scare my friends and I don't want my friends mm. to be her and I don't want to make the situation. And I actually, I was really thinking about it and I thought they are all so close now that she doesn't want to frighten them and she doesn't want to like escalate the situation. Like, obviously there's a, there's a bit where she's like, can we find a cure? And everyone's like, what are you talking about? But I, th- I genuinely, <laughs> it kind of maybe is a little bit of character development of like how all of their relationships are maturing you know, as a maybe she was just like not not written as well as usual, but I did think it was a bit like okay, it's interesting to see this side of Barbara and how she takes on the situation of like this is only her dealing with it, and she doesn't want anyone else to stress, and she doesn't want to um, make Susan panic or Ian upset. And I was just like, oh, she really cares about them, even though like I wish she told them. But <laughs> I get that, like maybe being in the TARDIS has made her more stoic. And just kind of, right, mm-hmm. I've got to fend for myself in this situation. Because there have been plenty of times, right, where she has had to kind of be by herself. The Doctor's not been there um, to kind of, like, be mm-hmm. their kind of guy. At this point, also, the Doctor's not the Doctor that we know now. The Doctor's not this kind of, like, like cool tour guide that will save you in every single scrape. He's, like, trying to get them back to Earth because, mm-hmm. frankly, he doesn't want them there. He's becoming more and more... yeah kind and more and more like one of the nice things that i really liked in this episode was like right at the start of episode one um where they're trying to work out why the tardis is going wrong he is yeah. so quick to apologize to barbara after having a go at her and being uh, yeah of, like, i knew I'm you were so- gonna say that he was like i'm so sorry that i've like i was really quick to be angry i was just confused i didn't know what was going on like yeah. do you forgive me and she's like yeah it's all good don't worry um I yeah. I wonder whether, like you said, it's kind of that thing of, right, so we've got to be a bit more stoic in this situation than we normally would and we can't rely on everybody being there because mm. they might have been, tra- like you said, trapped in a, in a, in a room set on fire yeah. as we get taken towards a guillotine. Uh, radiation poisoning <laughs> because of the Daleks. Um, I'm trapped on the sensorite ship because I've got to go on holiday. You know, all of these things that have like separated the team mm. out quite a lot throughout the, throughout their adventures so far. I feel like Barbara, for the, mo- mo- for the most part, in most stories, really has something to contribute um, and has, like, ideas of how to fix things. And I don't think she really did in the same way in this story. I think it was mostly the Doctrine Ian that drove all of that. And it was a bit sad to see her not really have much to do other than be dying. But I guess ma- then then I thought, like, maybe she's not contributing anything because she's literally dying, <laughs> you know? But it was kind of sad to to see less of her... You know, you're laughing. It was sad to see less of her agency, I guess. And I don't, I don't really remember anything that Susan did. I don't think Susan did much at all. She, um, she put the corks underneath the phone. <laughs> this yes. is my, this is yeah. my thing. Like knowing what we know now, that next next week is like her final adventure. I do I do yeah. feel really, really sorry for Caroline Ford because it just kind of feels like there were so many moments of Susan that are uh brilliant and 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 mm. golden and make yeah. me just feel like, oh, what a great what a great archetype for a companion. What a great little like spark there yeah. that that carries on throughout the generations of Doctor Who. But there are so many other mm. points where it's just kind of like Oh, you have written this 
so, like you have written this yeah. not as a 16 year old girl you've written her as a 13 year old like child who hasn't <laughs> ever seen the world and hasn't an, no experience and then this episode she talks about the fact that like she and the doctor like are like survive an air raid of the first world war like what are you talking about that like she's seen that and experienced that and has had to go through that and yet mm-hmm. like dead ants and yet everything everything her. freaks her out this is my problem everything this has been my problem since out. the beginning this is this has been my problem since the beginning with Susan. Is that she's meant to be a time traveler. She is not a child. Well, I mean, she is. She's young. She's like six, but she's sixteen. She's meant to be a time traveler. She's had experiences with the Doctor. It comes from an alien planet. So why is she so freaked out about everything? <laughs> like it doesn't. It just doesn't make sense for the concept of her character. And I yeah, I think you're exactly right. I got to the point with this where I was like, she's got really nothing to do and she's not contributing anything, and I can't imagine like if i didn't know i'd be like what where is she going next you know so the fact that she we do know that she's about to leave kind of really makes sense it's really sad because i don't really feel like we've seen much chance for her to grow other than in the sensor rights and i'm really excited for vicky because i love vicky who's the next companion to the tardis um but yeah it's really sad to see her not really have very much to do so that's that's the thing i thought when we watched sensor rights i was like okay we're gonna ramp stuff up because, yes, yeah. it's not like a finale, it's not like a closing chapter at the end of Reign of Terror, mm-hmm. as per, as we get in 20, 21st century Doctor Who. But, like, mm. it felt like, okay, so if you know that in a few in a few stories' time your contract's up and people are going to, like, start putting into place your exit movements and you're wanting to leave, then, like, surely there's going to be some mm-hmm. sort of, like, interesting storyline that starts to happen. And I, when we watched Sensorized, yeah. although I didn't like it 100%, I could start to see this, like, oh, here's this thing that's, like, going on of, like, character development for Susan, fantastic. And I thought, Reign of Tower, we're going to get, like, mm-hmm. an independent Susan who's, like, trying to, you know, get her way out. And then maybe in this story yeah. we'll have this and these things. She's scared of rats. She's scared of rats. And she talks about a Zeppelin. Yeah, so this oh. is it, right? She really peaked. She really peaked in the sense rights and had a lot to do. And then there was that foreshadowing at the end of that. And it just feels like since then, she's really not had very much to do. And I imagine that, I, I guess this is part of it, right? Like, I, how, I can't, we kind of know. I've seen the next story before, so I know how she leaves. But I imagine that the character wanting to leave the Doctor behind... Like, of course she would, you know? Like, it makes it makes sense, there's nothing really... But, like, you're right, I wish they ramped it up a little bit to, to plant more seeds of her being like, oh, no, I, I don't enjoy this anymore, I want to leave. It's sad to see Ian and the Doctor get more to do than Barbara and Susan in this, in this, in this context, but I really did enjoy Ian in this story. You know what else I found interesting was um, the splitting up at the start. So throughout almost all the stories, I can't, like, I don't quote me on this. I, I can't remember exactly if I get email threats of just being like, actually, I think you're, you're fine. Blah, 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 blah. I don't care. But what I noticed at this in this episode is that the Doctor goes, right, let's split up. Myself and Barbara will go this way. Mm. And Ian and Susan, you go that way. It's like, here's to trusting each yeah. other. Here's to loving one another. Yeah. Here's to being a family. <laughs> Yeah, and they do get they do get split up quite often in series one, but it, uh, yeah, you can see the sort of development of them being like, okay, it's always you know the doctor and the doctor and Susan and Ian and Barbara, it's always those yeah. those two. Yeah, groups. yeah, yeah. no, you're the, right. Yeah, the first maybe it's not the first time that it's happened, but it's the first time I actively noticed that when the doctor is deciding who yeah. who goes where, he goes with Barbara 
and Ian and Susan go together. We've had three weeks since we last recorded. And over the course of those three weeks, I really missed them. I really missed the Tardis team. I really just kept being like, I want to watch Doctor Who. Like, I want to watch more of classic Doctor Who. I want to watch more 60s Doctor Who. And I really missed them. So when I, like, opened the episode and started watching, I was like, oh, my friends have returned. (laughs) Um, And I just, I love them so much. And I was talking to my friend, Lisa. Shout out to Lisa McMullen. Shout out, Lisa. um, Of Big Finish and... And writer, amazing writer fame. <laughs> we were talking the other day and I was like, who's your favourite companion? And she was like, Ian, and, you can't really beat Ian and Barbara. And I was like, no, you're, yeah, you're right. Ian and Barbara are insanely good and they are the blueprint. And I, <laughs> I'm so, I'm, I'm not, I'll be sad when Susan goes, but I will, I will be heartbroken when Ian and Barbara go, <laughs> let me tell you. I love them. Also, like, while we were away, the Churchill Ruby Road aired. So, like, going from, like... I feel like I'm in two eras of Doctor Who at the moment. I'm in, like, the new Shutagatwa era and also 60s Doctor Who. And it's so interesting to see how different Ruby's character... Like, Ruby is not that much older than Susan. To see how much, like, different Ruby's character is compared to Susan, how that's developed over time. I mean, obviously, like, (laughs) the, the attitudes towards, like, the way that young women should behave have changed drastically since the 1960s. But, like... Just if you were if you were writing Susan now, that's how you would write her, slightly younger, as like yeah, yes, that's what she up would than, be like. Ruby is obviously because Ruby's nineteen, yeah. but like that's like that's how mm. you would write her. You would write her as this kind of like enigmatic, yeah. weird, um, lots of yeah. dink, um, like kind of a bit <laughs> a bit alien. Yeah. Not, not saying that Ruby's alien, but like you, that the kind of some of the attitudes that, you, that she has and some of the behaviours that she has. You would put into kind of a young mm. a young girl at this at this point. I don't think we can do this podcast about this story without mentioning that it's sort of one of the first really political kind of environmentalism storylines. Um, and I just thought it was really, really like an int- like a great concept. And I guess like being a, if you were young in the sixties and you're a child in the sixties, it might be your first introduction to something like that maybe um and i just i really liked that it had that kind of angle to it obviously there's been lots of stories in series one where um Mm. there's like a political undertone to it so yeah obviously we've talked about our allegory for the nazis yeah um, the sense of rights you could argue but from an environmentalism point of view but yeah from an environmentalism point of view it's like it's so interesting that this is like I, I, I didn't really think about that, that this would be the first one. I, I like, obviously, I got the... Yeah. I got the um, the narrative that was going, but I didn't really think about that from that, from yeah. that perspective, that it would be, like, the first one. Like, as much as, obviously, there has been political undertones to the first series, especially in the Daleks and stuff, I think that because this is set on contemporary Earth, it feels like the first... One of the first ones that really, like... It feels like it's really talking about that time. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm really talking to that audience. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I'm not saying I'm not saying that you can't like take stuff politically from the other stories that we've had, but no, 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 I think no, just no. like directly setting it contemporarily and and in a similar way to the Green Death later uh, in the Third Doctor's era and um, Orphan Fifty Five in Jodie's era, um, which is a 2020 episode. You know, it's like being like, this would be the impact of this thing that human beings have done. Praxis on this time now. And Praxis, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which I've not watched actually properly since. I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens when we go back to that series. I love I love Praxis, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that I I like that they did environmentalism and yeah. and that it was such an interesting storyline.
Okay, um, I think we should go to our stars. How many stars do you want to give this? Beth? Oh, my stars. Oh, my stars. I want to give it... <laughs> I want to give it four stars. Okay, I I want to give it five, because I don't really think there's very many <gasps> flaws. I know. OMG. Okay, OMG five we can give star. it five stars. Um, but I'm happy to go to four. Well, so the okay, I I would explain my reasoning. I really liked it. Oh, also we have to mention while we're talking about this, um, this story was originally filmed as four parts, but they cut it down to three parts. So that you know, this being so short really, really benefited it because I was watching yes. it and I was like, I don't think I could have done another episode of this despair, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um so that's a really great thing. That's one of the reasons I want to give it four stars, like it's really short and sweet and compact. Um, but I just I think, yeah, the Barbara stuff that we spoke about earlier. Um, kind of brought it down a little bit for me. Um, and it didn't feel like one, yeah, one small thing is that it just didn't feel as cosy to me as like the sense rights did, for example. But that's not necessarily anything to do with the story. I think it's more like sometimes like I, I need Doctor Who to be really whimsical for me to like feel really comforted by it. And mm. I'm not saying that every story has to be that, but I'm just saying in this instance, it was way more kind of like deck, well, it was literally on earth, but like way more down to earth. And um, I think that. There's just something, just like, like really small things that make it for me not quite five star, but definitely four star. No, I think that's a, I think that's fair to say about Barbara. Mm. Um, mm. I, th- I mean, to, to me, I, I just think that it's like a, I, I would, I would very, very, very happily watch this again, and I would show it to people who don't mm. normally like Doctor Who. I think it's a kind of it's one of those yeah. episodes where I feel like I could just say to people, okay, this is Doctor Who, and it's about this weird person that travels in time and space, and sometimes they get caught in mm. mad capers, and you could show this without having to be like, yeah. this is what this person does, and this is what this person does, and it feels really accessible, which I really like. Um, yeah, and I think the but again, is that is that is the benefit. Yeah, that is the benefit of setting it on contemporary Earth with a storyline yes. like this as well. Is that it is really accessible to to if you sat down a group of people now, was like this is what this is how Doctor Who started. I would maybe prefer to show them this than, like, the Daleks, for example. Yeah, you know what? I think you're right on that front as well, actually. Um, should we do our quote of the story? Yeah. Um, every, every, every week, we like to pick our favourite quote, out-of-context quote, um, from the story, and we normally put it on our little poster when we post it on social media. So what's your quote for the episode, David? <laughs> I think we might have the same one. I've... Yeah. Although we say that so all the time, we say that all the time. We've never actually brought the same thing in any category to to this. Mine is Barbara to Ian when they're standing next to the briefcase. She says, "Can you get the flap open?" That was mine as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I had. Well, I wrote down. I wrote down another one before this, but this one, the the flap one, was my favourite. But also, when the doctor's like scaling the drain pipe, Susan's like, "Where are you, grandfather?" And he's like, "I'm coming, my child. I'm coming." <laughs> and that was the that was the only other. One. But the flap one made me like like stop in my tracks. I paused it to laugh. So I think I think um, can you get the flap open? Is my one can story too. I can't believe we finally picked the same one. I also really liked, there was another one that I really liked, which was, there's a giant leg coming. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so funny. It's such a funny episode for Out of Context Quotes. Stupid, 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 and I love it. I love it. Okay, um, every single episode we also bring a fun fact. Um, And my fun fact is one that we noticed a, a 
a little while ago, but it's that um, the TARDIS doesn't make uh, a dematerialization noise. At, at the two points that it dematerializes in the story, there's no... <gasps> like, it's, it's not there. It's just silent. It just silently kind of vanishes into thin air. Yeah, and that happened last week as well. Like, last yeah. story. I don't like it. Why is the TARDIS on mute? I don't like it. Look around the TARDIS Let her speak. <laughs> Let women speak. <laughs> Let women speak. <laughs> Let the TARDIS speak. <laughs> um, uh, wh- my fact, so, well, so obviously I've, re- I've wrote down a few things and I've already mentioned some of them um, yeah. about this story, but something that I read while reading about this story, read while reading, wow, words. Read while reading. Um, yeah. Something that I found was that, and this is when you go, like, you know when you're w- watching 60s Doctor Who and you're like, oh, it's so long ago, but it wasn't really because, you know, I could, you know, I could be friends with Ian and Barrett. You know, it's kind of like yeah. you can connect to it. But then there are certain things where you're like, oh my god, this was so long ago, but also it wasn't. And so I, I read that Forrester. So like, it's not actually said on screen what happens to Forrester as a consequence of <gasps> oh, him yeah. murdering <laughs> Farrow. But like, so basically, you like, it's just presumed that Forrester would have been subject to the death penalty for murdering someone. And I was just so like, whoa. 60s. <laughs> Because it's the 1960s. He would have been dead because he, he would have been... <laughs> he would have been killed for murdering someone. And I was like, whoa. Like, it's just... just like, You know, you just read something, you're like, whoa, okay, cool. You can imagine those, like, eight, eight-year-old children sat around the television being like, Mother, where did he go to? He's being arrested. Well, he murdered someone. So it's the death penalty. It's the rope for him. <laughs> ah, okay. So, the last people to be executed in the UK happened in the same year as this story went out, but, like, two oh. months before the story went out. So, actually, maybe he wouldn't have faced the death, pe- death penalty. <laughs> Mother, Because apparently the last people to be executed... <laughs> well, the government's the just changed the law, The last people to be darling. executed... But also, hold on a minute. Isn't Christopher Eccleston in a movie about this? Hold on. Because I, I was having this conversation two nights ago. Christopher Eccleston was in a film called Let Him Have It, which I think was about the last execution, but that was in 1953. Oh, no, that was ages before. What? <laughs> Ignore me. <laughs> Ignore me. I don't know where the last execution was. Google is not giving me a good answer. Well, but, Wiki- um, Wikipedia says well. it, was, it was in 1964, August 1964, um at uh, Walton Prison in Liverpool and Strangeway Prison in Manchester for the murder of John Allen West. So maybe Forrester... Maybe maybe Forrester wouldn't have faced the death penalty. He wouldn't have been killed, but he may have been given a death sentence. It wasn't finally abolished until 1998. Yeah, so yeah. So that's what I was going to say. I was like, I'm sure it's been abolished in the 90s, but I don't... Yeah, I wasn't sure when the last one happened. What a palaver. So that makes my fact kind of redundant. But <laughs> just in it, just I guess it's just an inter- interesting context to the time, isn't it? You know? Okay, should we pick our background character of the story? So for anybody new listening, um, we pick a background character from every story, normally a non-speaking part, um, depending on the episode. So what was your what was your background character, David? Well, it can all, I, th- I feel like there's only one choice in this. It's the cat. Mm. <laughs> I knew you were going to say the cat, the cat. And so for that reason, <laughs> I picked the worm, because I knew you were going to pick the cat. <laughs> the dead the giant, worm. The big-ass earthworm. 
the the cat is uncredited, but he his character is called Sammy the mm. Cat, and he is apparently played ah. by he's apparently played by a cat called Noakes. Yeah, he's the first he's the first cat to appear in Doctor Who. <laughs> so every episode we also pick a song of the story, and this is a song that we think encapsulates the entire story that we have just watched. And you can find all of the songs from the Song of Our Story playlist in our link tree, which you can click in the link in the bio for. Or if you search on Spotify for Song of the Story, Who Watch Podcast, it'll come up. We've finished season one, so we can create a new playlist for season two. Um, and at the top of the playlist, Beth, what do you think should be there? It's not very... My choice is not very good because I, I really struggled with this one. Did you? Um, and I chose... <laughs> yeah, why... Okay. What? It's just like there's a lot of songs because about I just being couldn't, small I couldn't, or being big or being. being I couldn't giants. find. I just couldn't find one that I. I couldn't find one that I actually recognised and like knew. Okay. And I don't so, ever really want to pick a song that I don't really know. So uh-huh. I picked. <laughs> I picked "How to Disappear" by Lana Del Rey because I was the like, fuck? they've basically just they're so small that they. What? What do you mean? What the fuck? It's not that bad. So I think that like in my head. They've been shrunk down so small they've basically disappeared. And like, no. <laughs> okay, right. well I can pick another song. Right. Well, but... <laughs> um, no, that's your suggestion, and that's a, an interesting perspective. I love the way your mind works. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was so horrible. I picked uh, "Giant" by Calvin Harris and Rag and Bone Man. I specifically picked the Purple Disco Machine remix. I, I don't know that song. I did see that when I was searching. Yeah, when I was searching, I saw that. And I was like, I don't think know this song, so I don't want to pick it. Well, it wasn't the best-selling song in 2019, so uh, I must have passed you by. Um, I, I, wasn't, also... I wasn't around in 2019. <laughs> I didn't exist like that. Also, I don't call him Rag and Bone I, I call him. I call him by his actual name, which is Raging Bin Man. <laughs> He does. He looks like cool. a raging bin man. Cool. He looks like a raging bin man. He? he looks like an angry bin man. He's got all the tattoos. He's quite well built. He's, he's raging bin man. Yeah, go off. Cool. Okay. Let's pretend Sorry. I didn't say. Let's let's. <laughs> yeah, go off. <laughs> I can't. I just. I agree with your song choice because mine was so terrible. I just was like, what would being that small mean? It would mean that you've kind of disappeared almost. And in my head, it works, but I guess not. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad. Why are you lying? It's just think. I don't I think just, it's that I bad. I love that that's where your head went. No, it, it wasn't. I searched a million different other songs first, but I wasn't one that I knew. And I was like, what's a song that going through my... Because I normally go through, like, my playlists first before I search up other songs. And what's the song that I know? That's what came out. (laughs) (laughs) But fine. We won't... (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Oh, dear. (laughs) Sorry, I really like that. Which actually would have been... Sorry, I've just realised that that would have been a better song choice for an unearthly child when Ian and Barbara get kidnapped. Or when we get to... (laughs) When we get to... um, the the toy makers episodes just uh, <laughs> all right hand. i'll bring it back then we're bring not that then. far away bring I'm it back then yeah i'll bring it back cool i <sighs> wish i didn't say that <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> christ let's just say thank you very much as always to our gorgeous gorgeous art creator reese Connolly. thank you reese 
Love you, Reese. And we would also like to thank Hayden Wynn for our beautiful theme tune and our music. And we love it. Thank you guys so much. You can find all of our socials, ways to contact us, all of the fun stuff in the episode description. Please do give us an email at the who watch podcast at gmail.com. Who watch podcast at gmail.com. Five seconds behind each other. And I love it. Um, we'll see, I'll see you next week, Beth. See you next week, David. I'll see you next week, Goodbye. lovely listener. Bye. <laughs> bye, Martha. Bye. Bye, Martha. Bye. <laughs> bye, uh, big dead worm. Bye. <laughs> uh, uh, uh.